The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. Let me take a moment to welcome members of our military who are tuning in over the Internet today, and also our nation's veterans. Thank you for being with us. In just a moment, the 53rd Governor of New York, Mr. George Pataki, will be joining us to talk about a bipartisan task force which has been charged with cutting 2 to $3 billion in taxes in New York. He'll also explain why companies are better off self-insuring than adopting the affordable health care or other plans. But before he joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about this native New Yorker's background. George Elmer Pataki was born in Peekskill, New York. He earned his undergraduate degree from Yale University and received his law degree from Columbia Law School. The story goes that while Pataki was working as a lawyer at Plunkett and Jaffe, he met Michael Finnegan, and the two not only became great friends, but also an invincible team when it came to Pataki's political career. In 1981, Pataki was successfully elected mayor of Peekskill. Then in 84, he was elected to the New York State Assembly, where he served four terms. In 92, Pataki won election to the New York State Senate, and in 1994, he threw his hat in the ring for governor against three-term incumbent Mario Cuomo and prevailed. During his term, Pataki saw New York through many major tax cuts and an unprecedented reduction in crime. The New York Times also praised his work on the environment and health care. He created 600,000 new jobs, reduced the number of welfare recipients, and was responsible for building the state's technology centers. And many listeners will remember that Mr. Pataki provided much-needed leadership in the days following the attacks of 9-11. Following his governorship, Pataki joined the law firm of Chad Bourne and Park and formed the environmental consulting firm of Pataki Cahill. He also served as the vice chairman for the American Security Council Foundation. You may recall that President Bush called on Pataki to be the U.S. delegate to the United Nations General Assembly session. And it seems that every presidential and Senate election, Mr. Pataki's name appears on a short list, though he has repeatedly declined. Then in 2013, Pataki was unexpectedly tapped by the son of the candidate, Pataki out-campaigned in 94. And we're going to hear more about that later in today's program. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, the 53rd Governor of New York, Mr. George Pataki. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Rebecca. It's nice being on with you. Thank you. Uh, as I mentioned, your appointment last year by Governor Cuomo, uh, as I understand it, you and uh, Democratic State Controller Carl McCall have been charged with cutting $2 billion in taxes this year. Is that right? Well, we we came up with a series of proposals. There were, uh, I believe, uh, nine or ten of us on the commission uh, recommending about $2 billion in tax cuts. That's correct. Now, just how bad is the tax situation in New York, say, compared to other states? Uh, I think it's terrible. But then again, I'm a Republican, so I'm not. <laughs> well, give, uh, give us uh, some statistics here. Give us some uh, comparisons. Rebecca, let me just give you one example. Okay. The, the income tax, when I left, the top rate was 6.85%, and it only applied on income above a certain level. Now it's 8.82%, and it applies, if your income is high enough, on every single dollar you've earned. So whether it's the income tax, the estate tax, property taxes, business taxes, um, I just think uh, uh, the taxes in New York are much higher than they need to be and much higher in New York than they should be. 
Now, why, uh, this sounds like an obvious question, and I don't mean it to be, but why would the taxes go up like that? Is that a result of additional spending that needs to be covered? Largely additional spending. I I would agree with the additional spending part, but that needs to be covered is the part that I disagree. I think you know, the, the inclination in government is to grow, which is why the Founding Fathers created a constitution with separation of powers and a bill of rights to try to limit the ability of government to just continue to grow at the expense of the people. Uh, every interest group has a legitimate need and always a demand for more money. I mean, I was governor for 12 years, and I don't remember any advocacy groups coming up and saying, we want less money whether it was for schools, health care, the environment, transportation, every single need was for more money. And you can justify that. But what you cannot, in my view, justify is taking so much from the people who work so hard to earn it. Government doesn't earn that money. It takes it from people who work to earn it. And that's why to fight that proper balance, to find that proper balance, You need to say no to very well-intentioned people with very legitimate needs, uh, but just needs that, uh, in my view, shouldn't be met at the expense of the taxpayers and particularly small business people who who we need to grow to create the jobs and opportunity that people need. So when you receive a big charter like $2 billion, uh, where's the first place you go looking? Well, my first place was the income tax, but unfortunately, it was a bipartisan commission, and I was voted down on that. Uh, So the income tax rate, I fear, for this year at least, will remain much, much higher than when I left office. But there are a number of important areas that we looked at. One was the property tax, and we came up with a proposal to allow localities to freeze the property tax for the next two years. Uh, New York State also has an estate tax that began at a very low level, and we recommended making that the same as the federal tax because it was literally the case where uh, it was not only very expensive to live in New York, but it's very expensive to die in New York. And we wanted to protect small businesses, family farmers, and others from having to pay a tax on the death of, of the, uh, the the small business owner or the farm owner. Uh, and then business taxes, because we live in a competitive world. And you no longer have to be in New York uh, in this era of, inca- uh, of interconnectedness. You no longer have to be in any one of the 50 states. You can be anywhere in the world. And in fact, when we were competing to uh, land the uh, uh, technology centers in upstate New York, our main competitors weren't other states. They were Saxony in Germany and Malaysia in Asia and other uh, countries uh, a continent away. So, so we did succeed in some recommendations, in particular in abolishing for a period of time the income tax on manufacturing in upstate New York, which is where most of the manufacturing is and where the economic need right now is the greatest. So I think we had a balanced approach. Uh, no one on the commission got everything they wanted, but we did recommend approximately $2 billion in cuts. Uh, Governor Cuomo has uh, recommended virtually all of those in his budget, and I'm hopeful that this year the state legislature will, will see the wisdom of enacting those cuts. Well, now... Making cuts is one thing. Uh, If they don't get spending under control, obviously the cuts will be very short-lived. That's exactly right. You have to, uh, I mean, states have to balance their budget. They're not like the federal government, which sadly has run up multiple trillion-dollar deficits over the last decade, uh, something that I think is just completely wrong to particularly our young people and future generations. States, uh, certainly in most states by constitution, have to balance their budget. So you need to balance off the revenue and the expenditure. So when I was governor, and, and again, his credit governor Cuomo as governor for his first few years, we actually reduced spending from the years before, not just uh, um, in relation to uh, the rate of inflation, but I, for my first t- a couple of years, reduced uh, spending in absolute dollar numbers. And if you have the right economic climate, this is the United States, uh, people grow, businesses grow, opportunities increase, or at least that's the way it should be, so that the revenue growth that uh, I wanted to see coming into New York State, our goal 
was to see that revenue growth coming not because we're raising taxes, but because we're expanding the economy. And when you have more people working, more businesses creating jobs, more companies saying, this is the place I want to be, then you generate revenue, uh, not by raising taxes, but by creating jobs and opportunity. That's true. You spread the burden of the tax load, and uh, I think that's really what a growing economy ends up doing. Now, we have to take a scheduled break to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, how some companies are cutting their health care costs by self-insuring. You're listening to the Costa Report. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data, and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile, and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM Big Data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. If you listen to talk shows in the news today, you might come away with the impression that the root of all our problems are politics or economics. The right blames the left, the left blames the right, and everyone blames the Chinese. But take a hard look at where the blame game has gotten us. That's why I'm asking you to pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It's available in paperback and as an ebook too. And if you don't have time to read, there's an audio version so you can listen in your car or even on the beach. The book explains why complexity produces gridlock and what we have to do to start moving forward again. So pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle at a bookstore near you or online retailer. Do it today. If you love wine and winemaking, you are invited to a weekend celebration of food, wine, music, and very interesting people at the new offices of D.E. Fleming's Luxury Wines. Hello, I am Jim White. After 20 years of making wine for Parazzo Vineyards, David Fleming is striking out on his own with the ultra-premium D.E. Fleming label. Mark your calendar and RSVP Saturday, February 22nd for a pouring and tasting of the new releases of D.E. Fleming wines paired with hors d'oeuvres from celebrity chef Wendy Brody. And RSVP Sunday afternoon at Wendy's private residence for a first tasting of D.E. Fleming's all-new releases. An album release party featuring the internationally renowned True North and, of course, food from Wendy's Kitchen. You will not want to miss the weekend celebration of Santa Lucia Highland's Best New Wine. The Saturday event is free, but you must go to deflemon.com and RSVP. That's deflemon.com. deflemon.com. Calling all trivia buffs. Join us for the 5th Annual Trivia Challenge at the Santa Cruz Civic Auditorium on Friday, February 21st from 6 to 9.30 p.m. All proceeds go to Helping Hands Senior Home Repair Program of the Volunteer Center of Santa Cruz County. Don't miss your opportunity to test your wits against fellow trivia enthusiasts while supporting your community. To register your winning team or learn more, visit sctriviachallenge.org or call 831-427-5070. Sundays at 4 on KSEO. Kick back and relax with the Dave Allen Show. Every Sunday, Dave serves up two hours worth of an eclectic mix of music and interesting guests with positive conversational topics. Dave calls it positive radio. You'll call it too cool for school. Either way, there's nothing like the Dave Allen Show, Sundays at 4 on KSEO AM 1080. 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former governor of New York, Mr. George Pataki. And before the break, we were talking about the recommendations that the bipartisan commission that you've been working on have made to cut $2 billion in taxes in New York and how important it is for spending to be reined in to accommodate those cuts. Uh, so let's talk about another cost-cutting measure that you've suggested, one that all Americans listening to the program today should be aware of, this idea of self-insuring. You've been a strong proponent of preserving the legal right for companies and individuals to self-insure. So, so for folks who might not understand what that means, can you take a moment to explain how a company or an individual might self-insure? Uh, sure, Rebecca, and and let me first give a little context here. Um, I know you believe, and I think most of your listeners and I believe as well, that the best government comes when you set aside partisanship and tr- try to just solve a problem. Uh, and sadly, uh, Obamacare is the only major entitlement ever in the United States that was passed in a partisan way without broad bipartisan support. Every other major social reform effort from Social Security to Medicare to Medicaid were done in a bipartisan way where you had the input from both parties, and that wasn't the case uh, with Obamacare. And I think we're seeing now uh, that the, the, the consequences of that law uh, just weren't understood. We knew it was going to increase taxes, but now the Congressional Budget Office has just said they expect it to reduce the number of jobs in America. And this is CBO, a bipartisan, nonpartisan organization. They expect to see the number of jobs created in America reduced by about 2.5 million uh, simply as a result of Obamacare. And we're seeing uh, particularly small businesses, but large businesses too, cut back on hiring because they're not familiar with what the terms are going to be. It seems the rules change every week, uh, but they do believe that it's going to increase their costs. So there is a way out, and and this is a way out that uh, was not affected by Obamacare, because when the law was passed, they did not affect self-insurance. Self-insurance means that, and right now, more than 80% of large companies with over 500 workers and uh, many large unions self-insure. And what this means is that instead of going out and buying a health care premium for every single worker in these companies, what the employer does is they assume the risk. They'll set up a fund on their own, that's their fund, uh, to cover uh, what they anticipate will be the reasonable uh, liability they would risk under employees' health care for a year. And then they buy what is called reinsurance or stop-loss insurance, so that if you have a company where there is a particular uh, bad year where people have bad health or serious uh, uh, diseases or illnesses or accidents that cost, as we know, up into the millions of dollars, that is covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. This option still remains. Uh, Obamacare did not affect it because this provision uh, way to provide health care is not under the health law, it's under the employee retirement law, ERISA is what, it called, what it's called. So as I said, over 80% of large businesses, many large unions uh, self-insure, but small businesses in general, businesses under 300, less than 20%. Uh, self-insure. So it's a way to improve the coverage that you provide to your employees. This uh, this reduces costs. Right now, the average difference between buying premiums for your employees and self-insuring is in double digits, 10, 11, 12 percent. And it gets you out from under the uncertainties and the, the real concerns that employers have about uh, uh, the consequences of Obamacare. So it's currently well, basically law. when it's, you're self-insuring, you're you're accepting the same odds that an insurance company does. And insurance companies are very profitable, so obviously those odds pay. So why not keep that profit inside the company and still cover your employees. Do I have that right? You you have it right, uh, with the exception that particularly if you're a business that might have 40 or 50 workers, uh, if you have one or two in a year who get a very serious illness, the, the numbers can go out the window, mm-hmm. which is why it's critical that you don't just uh, put aside funds for the anticipated cost, but you also buy 
that insurance coverage beyond a certain level so that if, in fact, it is the case that a few of your employees have these serious medical expenses, they will be covered, but not out of this pool, which has limited resources, but by traditional insurance above a certain level. Now, you've expressed some concerns that you feel that this self-insuring option may go away. Well, there are those who uh, are doing everything they can to try to save Obamacare uh, are trying to get uh, at the state level, um, state legislatures to limit self-insurance. And a number of states, including California, have already changed and made it much more difficult to sell, to reinsure so that that business that uh, wants to self-insure but is afraid of what happens if there's catastrophic illness among a handful of employees, if they can't get that reinsurance, that stop-loss insurance, then they uh, are at risk uh, so they wouldn't uh, be inclined to self-insure. So if That's reinsurance possible. isn't available, what we're talking right. about is self-insurance isn't viable for most companies. So that's the way you close that. That's right. For most companies, it's too great a risk if reinsurance isn't available so that you can get around the exemption under Obamacare by, at the state legislature level by simply making reinsurance either too expensive, too, co- too hard to get, uh, or, or not available, in which case uh, uh, employers will be forced to put their employees through the health care exchanges, which in so many states are not working well and in most cases are going to cost significantly more. So what bothers me about this is that if you have a superior program like the Affordable Health Care Act, why do you need to get rid of options? Right. You should not. Uh, I think People are smart. They'll, hit, they'll pick the, the best program. right on the head. But on the other hand, uh, Rebecca, if, if this system is going to work so well, why do people who are perfectly happy with their current insurance lose it or have to change it? Uh, we were misled on this, to put it politely, when we were told that if you liked your insurance, you could keep it. Well, it turns out over 10 million Americans, and it'll probably be a lot more, can't keep their insurance. As of today, over 5 million Americans have had their health insurance dropped, uh, forcing them onto the exchanges. So I think this is a bad law that was misrepresented to the American people. And now, as you see, where uh, by executive order, it seems every month there's another delay or change or or special deal for uh, a particular group to try to salvage the law now they're trying to salvage the law by preventing companies from taking advantage of this opportunity to self-insure. Don't you think that uh, if you have a great program, you don't feel threatened? It's it's just like uh, products, for example, out of Silicon Valley, where I've worked for a number of years. If you have a great product, don't worry about the competition. People That's exactly will find right. they will find their way to you. There is no reason to close off these options. Uh, Rebecca, but, you're absolutely right, but you got to understand this is government. First. Of of all, it's government. Second of all, they don't have a great product. Uh, sadly, it's an expensive product or an inferior product. So unfortunately, the only way to make it work is to try to stifle any alternative choices. Well, one thing we agree on is I am against force feeding by the government or anyone else. Maybe that's a little rebel in me. Now we have exactly. to take another break. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back with George Pataki. You're listening to the Costa Report. Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. 
Did you know that 9 out of 10 couples don't agree on the firmness of their mattress? That's right, 90%. He likes it firmer, she likes it softer, or vice versa. And the only bed, the only bed offered that allows you to each have your own way is the sleep number bed. Dual air technology is what makes it possible. It's a simple concept, but unique to sleep number. Each side of the bed is individually adjustable to whatever degree of firmness or softness you happen to want at the touch of a button. My sleep number is 85. I need a firm mattress, and that's what works for me. I've had back problems, and this makes me sleep well. I get up relaxed and refreshed. Celeste couldn't handle that. Her sleep number setting is 50. But with that difference in setting, both of us sleep well on sleep number. So will you. Go to Seaside, California, right next to the Cost Plus World Trade Market on Fremont Street, and you'll find a sleep number store well-stocked with all of their models. Go get a demonstration and move up from a conventional mattress to the Sleep Number mattress. Tell me you heard about it from Charlie Friedman at KSCO. Shirt Crafter, your one-stop print shop, has been locally owned and operated in Santa Cruz for a decade, providing custom design services to help you build your brand. Shirtcrafter provides top-of-the-line custom screen printing, digital printing, embroidery, stickers, banners, business cards, and so much more. They carry top-quality brands of gear from t-shirts and polos to sweatshirts and ball caps. Whether you're outfitting your softball team or team building for your business, Shirtcrafter has it all. So build your brand with Shirtcrafter, located at 111 Ingalls Street in Santa Cruz, or go to www.shirtcrafter.com shirtcrafter.com or you could give them a call at 831-423-0537 that's shirtcrafter 831-423-0537 here's rick and rosie discussing the evolution of men and women men forget more than women they have not determined why women remember more. It's an unsolved mystery that women do have better memories than men. Um, Guys are just simple. Guys are simple. You know, you're, you're the new version of Mac OS, whatever, takes all these updates. You know, we're a stick drawing in a, in a dirt pile. That's really all it is. I think you're a little bit more than a stick drawing in the dirt. There's not much, though. You have to be honest. To guys? Guys are really straightforward. You know, we're, we're, the, we're the cell phones of the, of the 90s. <laughs> You have all the weird swipe, all the cool attachments, all the nice add-ons. There is that. We're just an infected PC. Virus, firewall, red flags, left and right. Philosophy and science only on Good Morning Monterey Bay. Come for the info, stay for the fun, Monday through Friday, 6 to 9 a.m. on KSEO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is George Pataki, who was explaining that the option to self-insure employees may be under threat uh, when it, in fact, may offer the most cost-effective option of managing health care costs for many companies. Now, we've been talking about self-insuring in health care, but let's take that a step further. Uh, not long ago, I tried to apply the idea of self-insuring to my home insurance policy, which I, I think a lot of listeners today can relate to. Home insurance is extremely expensive and required by mortgage lenders. So my idea was I'd set the funds aside which would cover any catastrophic loss in an interest-bearing uh, escrow account, rather than pay some insurance company every year for a disaster that was really not likely to devastate my home. Um, but the fact is, you, you can't get a home loan without buying home insurance. There is absolutely no option to self-insure. So my question is whether these options to self-insure anything, your, your car, your house, your body, are they all going away? Well, you just mentioned two of them that largely have automobile insurance now is uh, required in, in uh, I believe, every state, if not virtually every state. Um, and uh, homeowner's insurance is a requirement to get a mortgage because uh, for all your uh, intelligently putting aside the assets, those could be lost. I mean, the, the lender needs to know that in the event of a fire or other catastrophe, uh, when the home is gone, they're going to be able to collect. So they are largely gone. Uh, and my fear now is that with the advent of Obamacare and the public exchanges and the difficulties, to say the least, they have been facing, forcing companies out of that option 
forcing businesses and unions out of that option onto the exchanges works for the government, works to create a larger pool uh, within those exchanges, but doesn't work for the people and certainly doesn't work for the businesses that are reluctant to hire because of the costs and uncertainty under Obamacare. So we uh, not only hope it remains a viable option, we intend where it's appropriate to fight to make sure that that option is not removed. Now, in many cases, these deductibles are obscene. Part of, you know, that's one way to get around the dilemma that you were just talking about. If you have a, uh, not a deductible on an insurance particular plan, mm -hmm. but like with your homeowner's plan or your auto insurance, if you have a much higher deductible and put the money aside, assuming you're prepared to take that risk, then you can reduce your premium. But uh, under the healthcare exchanges, some of the costs are gonna be extremely high. There is a way to, to deal with that in states that have health savings accounts where you can take pre-tax money and set it aside, which is the prudent and intelligent thing to do uh, to deal with those. But, Rebecca, I don't have to tell any of your listeners, these are not the easiest of economic times. And to have that extra money to set aside is, is very difficult in this time. Yes, it is. Now, um, for Americans listening to the program today, um, how can they make self-insuring um, more feasible? As you know, the insurance lobby is very powerful in Washington, and when, right. when it comes to funding political campaigns, they are very effective. Right. Well, right now, uh, the option exists. And as I said, over 80% of large businesses do self-insure. What we are looking to do is create something that, I'm sorry, doesn't exist yet. But that's a website where if you're a small business person with 25 or 50 or 75 employees, you can go on the Internet and find the options. The way it works now is virtually always uh, a company that self-insures self doesn't administer the program themselves. Mm -hmm. There are a number of health insurance companies that administer uh, self-insurance programs for a very small, very low, generally 3% administrative fee, so that instead of those health care companies selling the policies uh, and that cost being imposed on the employer or the employee, depending on the nature of the benefits that accompany, now the, the company simply pays that small fee to the health care insurance, insurance company to administer the program. To oversee and beyond the program. that, the insurer is at risk. I apologize for... Uh, being so wonky on this, but it is uh, uh, Obamacare is, you know, with all its regulations, tens of thousands of pages long uh, and extremely difficult to understand. But quite simply, self-insurance still exists as a way to avoid all the negative consequences of that law. Well, Governor, I want to say uh, you should be more wonky because uh, we are watching our Facebook and our trending scores right now. And ever since you started talking about this, uh, people are making a mad dash to their computers to look at self-insurance as an option. So uh, I've said this more than once, and I've wanted to have you as a guest on the program for many, many months, because I think that you are pointing to options that we just don't hear about in the media. Media nearly enough. Now, speaking of these insurance companies uh, being very powerful in Washington right now, you've come out in strong favor of term limits. Uh, can you take a moment to speak about what you've been calling a permanent political class? Yes. Um, uh, sadly, uh, I feel, and I think an overwhelming majority of Americans feel more distant from our government in Washington than ever. Uh, we just feel that whether it's the House or the Senate or the president and his administration, they don't reflect the wishes of the American people. Uh, it is a very insular group inside the Washington Beltway. And to be honest, I try to avoid going to our nation's capital, as sad as that might seem, because like I think their attitude towards most of the people of this country, I feel like not just an outsider, but an interloper on their, their massive game. Um, there was an interesting show, a... Uh, uh, a few months back, and I believe it was 12 United States senators who since the 2010 elections left the Senate, either uh, by not being reelected or not running again. And they were both parties from every part of the country. Every single one of them stayed in Washington as either a lobbyist or a public affairs person. Or, and quite simply, that is the, what happens today. You get elected from some district anywhere in America. You serve however long. 
you develop friendships, relationships with the permanent government class that is not just the the government bureaucrats, but the lobbyists and the public affairs people and those trying to influence policy in Washington. And you know at the end of your term, win or lose or retire or lose, you're going to have the ability to continue to stay in Washington and make far more than you did back when before you got elected to Congress. And it's just the opposite of what this country is meant to be. This country is supposed to be a people's democracy where ordinary citizens take a bit of time out of their lives, run for public office, and if they win, then go do what they think is right for the country and for their constituents from their district, and then after a period of time, go back home. We have lost that in America, and I think it is having terrible consequences on the the ability of this permanent political class in Washington to understand what the American people really feel, what we really need, and what we really want. And I think it's one of the reasons that, in my view, the federal government has really lost touch with the American people. But going back to the idea of term limits, if they're going to go jump from being in political office to joining a lobbyist group and shape public policy from the outside in, does it really make any difference? I mean, don't we really need stronger laws about what you can do after you leave office? Uh, Rebecca, I I think you just hit it right on the head. You need both. Uh, First of all, you need to tell these uh, so-called citizen representatives, after a period of time, we want you to go home. We don't want you to be trapped in this, uh, the glamour, the money, the, the power of Washington, because when you are, you just increase the power and the money that Washington continues to take from the American people. So I think term limits makes is, is a dramatic improvement because it would tell people they do have to go out of office, but they don't have to go home. And then I think we need that very, very tough, long-term conflict of interest rules uh, or uh, pro- uh, prohibition on what is really essentially influence peddling so that, in fact, more and more of our elected representatives after their time in public service go home. It, it would seem happen. fairly easy to put some laws on the books on influence peddling, and that would seem like something that both parties would be interested in, no? Well, uh, I would think you're right, except that both parties have so many members who, at the end of their elected <laughs> career, are very happy about staying and making more money. Well, that that was well said. We, we have to take our last scheduled break. We'll be right back with more of George Pataki. You're listening to the Costa Report. Fifty years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. But something you may not know is that Dr. King was represented by the world's foremost speaking agency, the American Program Bureau. The American Program Bureau has a courageous history of representing luminaries, entertainers, and motivators from all backgrounds. From Ronald Reagan, Richard Branson, and Mikhail Gorbachev, to John Stewart, Michael Douglas, and Desmond Tutu. From A-list celebrities to best-selling authors, cutting-edge business leaders, and the greatest minds in academia, the American Program Bureau has speakers to fit every venue and every budget. When corporations, conferences, schools, and community organizations need an expert speaker, they turn to the American Program Bureau to help them craft an event that will be remembered long afterwards. To inquire about a speaker for your next engagement, contact the American Program Bureau at 800-225-4575 or visit our website at apbspeakers.com. The American Program Bureau, making history one speech at a time. One of my new customs is to put open bottles of red and white wine on my table so my guests can serve themselves. But not just any wine. In my home, I want to serve the best, and that's wine from Caraccioli Cellars. So this year, I asked winemaker Scott Caraccioli for a suggestion on what I should serve. Come dinner time, it's always a good idea to have a bottle of nice Chardonnay as well as Pinot Noir on your table. That way you have a selection for every guest that walks through your door. But the best way to start the evening is definitely with a bottle of bubbles, preferably Brut Rosé, to really get the celebration in, in the mode of the holidays. Oh, you're absolutely right. It's There's something about the bubbles that gets everybody going. Yeah, it's really a an infusion of happiness. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. So I'll start with the bubbles and then move on to the red and white on my table, and then I'll have everyone covered. 
Unless people want to keep going with the bubbles, which I always advise. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Scott. The original Stagnero family has been in business since 1879. The Stagnero name stands for quality, quantity, and great service. The family's Gilda's Restaurant on the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf is still the fishing headquarters of the Santa Cruz area. It's where fishermen gather each morning for coffee and breakfast before heading out on the bay. Stop by Gilda's and say hi. Dino looks forward to meeting you at Gilda's on the center of the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf. We hear there is a new government health care program called the Affordable Care Act. Here is an Affordable Care Act that will cost you less than a daily latte. Supplement with the 90 essential nutrients your body needs to grow strong and stay healthy. Some say you can get all 90 of the essential nutrients from the food you eat. Maybe. But if you eat foods from farmed out soils or foods that have had the life processed out of them, you will deprive your body of some essential nutrients. You can get all 90 of the essential nutrients your body needs for less than a daily latte with a 90 for life healthy start pack it's easy it's delicious and they are essential ace is the place to pick up dr joel wallach's 90 for life healthy start pack swing by ace hardware in freedom gilroy marina salinas and watsonville and ask for the 90 for life you'll get all the nutrients your body needs to grow strong and stay healthy for less than a daily latte remember ace is your place for the 90 for life Michael Olson's second law of the food chain. The farther we go from the source of our food, the less control we have over what's in our food. Now that so much of our food comes from thousands of miles away, we should all get together Saturday at 9 a.m. as the Food Chain Radio Show tracks down who is putting what in our food. If you have a comment about the second law of the food chain, tell me. Michael Olson, all about it at MetroFarm.com. Now, see you all on KSEO Saturday at 9 a.m. for some What's Eating What Radio on the Food Chain. What day was that? Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is George Pataki. Now, it seems that every presidential election and every time there's speculation about a vice presidential running mate or a Senate race, your name is on the short list. And with the damage that's been inflicted on New Jersey Governor Chris Christie over this Bridgegate scandal, are we going to see more of you in this next presidential race? Well, Rebecca, thank you. That's very nice of you to say, but it's not in any way uh, a reflection of Governor Christie. It's more what we were just talking about, and that is there's this permanent group of people who think their life depends on holding a powerful political office. Uh, I left as governor after 12 years, and uh, it was a tremendous privilege. But I have loved being in the private sector. It is just a this is a great country, and you don't have to have a powerful office to have a wonderful life. And it's been terrific to spend time with my family, to to be working, to create a small business, uh, and to be able to try to help people not through government, uh, but by creating jobs and helping other businesses to grow. So I've enjoyed it immensely. Having said that. I see what's happening in Washington, and we were just talking about this tremendous distance I and I believe the majority of the American people feel from that government. Yes. And you feel obligated in difficult times, not just to sit on the sideline, but to try to be involved, which is why I appreciate very much, Rebecca, the opportunity to be on your show and talk about some of these issues, because I feel passionately about them, uh, and I do want to still have a voice to try to impact change. Now, whether or not that ultimately takes uh, uh, the form of a candidacy or just the opportunity like you've given me to speak out on important issues, I do intend to be more active because I think it's every one of our obligations to try to take back this country and, and not allow the continual erosion of our individual liberty at the expense of the power of the politicians in Washington. Well, I think at this point I'm going to have to quote my father, uh, who says that we're in trouble, in the trouble that we're in, uh, precisely because people like you have stepped away into the private sector. <laughs> and the only people left are the, you know, the people that are running the country right now, right into the ground. And so, you know, look, there was a time where there were the Bill Bradleys of the world, yourself, a gentleman who could reach across the aisle and say, look, we've got to figure out what's best for the American people. 
yes, it's nice if, if it uh, fits in with our ideology. It's nice if our party supports it. But at the end of the day, you've got to move forward. And you've got to broker some rational compromise. Uh, I am watching the stats on the Internet because I'm a techie. And ever since we started this interview, I don't even think that you, Mr. Pataki, understand how popular you are in this country throughout the nation and how much people would like to see you be reinvolved. Well, thank you. That is that is very nice. And I just want to tell you one personal anecdote. When I first started in government, um, I took a job as a staffer in Albany, the New York capital, uh, for a state senate committee. And I was the counsel for that committee. And when I was the counsel, obviously the committee had Democrats and Republicans, and they all sat together. That they would sit around and they would discuss a bill, whether or not it was a good idea, whether or not it could be improved, and then take a vote. Yes. Uh, and it wasn't Republicans sitting on one side and the Democrats sitting on the other side and screaming and yelling at each other. It was all trying to figure out what would work best. And then when I got elected a long time later to the New York State Assembly, uh, for whatever reason, TV stations were following me around because I had a hot election. And I arrive at the assembly version of that same committee, and it was probably 10 to 15 years later. And everybody's sitting around, and I sit down in an empty seat, and they all start laughing. And I go, so what's going on? And they go, well, you're a Republican, and you just sat among the Democrats. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, so is that wrong? And it was wrong. Uh, over that 10-year period where both parties used to try to work together on a common solution, it had become us against them. And one of the things that we have to realize is that, yes, elections are partisan, but at the end of the day, we're all Americans. And we all want to see this country do well. We may have different views as to how to get there, but unless we're able to talk to each other and try to reach common ground, we lurch from one failed policy to another, and it's not... So how do we get there if we don't get people who really are committed to bipartisan efforts into office? How, how well, are I we going to get I, there with the I, current... I crew? think it is, uh, Rebecca, I think to your point, it is about leadership. Uh, and it's when the leadership sets a tone of divisiveness and partisanship, and uh, we've got the votes and we're going to do it our way, uh, then the reaction of the other party is to get their hackles up and say, well, we're going to do everything we can to beat you. And and that's perfectly fine in October of election year. It's not fine in January of a governing year after people have just been elected or not. So it's it requires leadership. And as I said, you know, we're going to disagree on priorities and solutions and how to get there. But so long as we agree on where we want to get, then we can find that common ground. And and just as an example on that, the deficit. I mean, it is horrible that we are engaged in generational theft and stealing from our kids and grandchildren to live beyond our means today. That yes. is simply unconscionable. And yet a great bipartisan solution, the Bowles-Simpson uh, proposal that was President Obama's own proposal and it had some great ideas. It had, I didn't agree with everything, but nobody agrees with everything in a comprehensive report, which is completely ignored by both parties. It's wrong. It's a disservice to the American people, and we have got to do everything in our power to have the right types of leaders who understand that and try to prevent that. Well, it seems like any kind of bipartisan effort, we just nitpick the thing to death. And, and as you know, Anything you put up for vote is going to have components you don't agree with. Uh, but you've got to, at some point, come to peace and come to terms with that, because otherwise there can be no progress. If you're always looking for a perfect initiative, then we, we will never get anything through, which is what our situation is. That's exactly right. But so many people in government, uh, it's more about making a point than solving a problem. And I can look back on my 12 years as governor, and I'm extraordinarily proud of all the things we accomplished. But I can look at a thousand things and say, <laughs> man, I wish we didn't have to do that, or I wish we hadn't done that. 
Uh, but that's just the nature of anything. It's not just government. It's the nature of the private sector. It's the nature of our lives. If we did everything right, we wouldn't need any government. Uh, but we don't do everything right. So, so you just have to understand that imperfection does not prevent progress so long as you're willing to talk and keep your eye on the goal. That's right. Now, before we run out of time today, is there a website where listeners can go to learn more about your views and your work? Well, actually, not at this point, because, as I said, I have... Well, you're going to have to get one, because I, I have about 500 requests sitting on my computer screen right now saying, Rebecca, get the web address. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank your listeners. It's very kind of them. And they can certainly go look for... Uh, um, I do have a website... Uh, uh, I do have a, a Facebook site that people can go on, and, and I'd be very appreciative. I, I, I am not as active as I should be, but as I get more and more concerned about the direction of this country, hopefully I will be. But well, I hope we'll see more of you, Governor. Well, thank you. Well, we're running out of time. We are out of time. That is our okay. program for today. But uh, before we say goodbye, I really do want to take this opportunity to thank you for your service to our country. Thank you, Mr. Pataki. Well, thank you, and thank you for not making answers be eight-second sound bites <laughs> and for honoring our, our servicemen and women around the world and our veterans. You did the right thing there. Thank you very much, and come back soon. Thank you. Take if, care. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you have a question or a comment to make about today's program, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or send me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and let me know what you thought about our conversation with Mr. Pataki today. And if you missed the full interview with him or any of our other guests, remember that you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our new YouTube channel. And if you agree with Mr. Pataki's idea that self-insurance is a viable option, which should be preserved for employers and individuals, then I'd really like to hear from you. Just go to our website at RebeccaCosta.com and click on the contact page to leave your comment. And if it's rational and well thought out, well, you never know. I might read it on the air for all of our listeners' benefits. So keep those comments coming. And while you're at our website, please take a moment to order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Next week, we welcome journalist Lou Dobbs to the program, who claims to have a plan for how the GOP can win back the confidence and the votes of the middle class. But first, Dobbs says, the infighting and gridlock has got to stop. From immigration to election and tax reform, we've lost our ability to get the job done. And Lou Dobbs has a lot to say about that. So don't miss the always outspoken and entertaining Lou Dobbs next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio when we hear what listeners have on their mind. You're listening to The Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.